0: of my message today is when God acts to clear His name. Now, you say, well, I, I, I don't need that. I'm not, I, God hasn't got a bad reputation with me. Well, you hang around a little bit because there are times when we are very tempted to believe that God has forgotten us, that God isn't doing what He's promised to do. And um, we're saying, Lord, what's going on? Have you, have you forgotten me? And certainly when we look around the world today... We could argue that the people of the world mock the church for its weakness, every opportunity or apparent weaknesses, every opportunity the press has to talk about the vicar who ran away with the choir girl, uh, or uh, every chance, opportunity to say, you know, this church is emptying and that building is vacant. Of course, they don't focus on the good stuff. And um, I know there is a lot of good stuff to give God thanks for. The church is strong, Uh, Here in London, 22% of London population attends church um, and regularly across the nation it's 7%. That's low, I know, by SMB, but the church is certainly not dead. And 59% of British population, English population, say that they are Christians. So Christianity is not dead. But we are often mocked for our apparent weaknesses and so on, and uh, we want God to arise to get glory to his name through his church. And one of the things that the end time move of God, and I hope many of you are being persuaded that the scripture teaches that we shall see a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, a global move of God's spirit before the return of Jesus Christ, that he will act to clear his name and to demonstrate his power, and he will get glory in the church by Christ Jesus, and we are looking forward to that. But also in our own private moments, maybe today you've come with an issue and uh, you've been praising God, uh, but privately been saying, God, okay, I'm praising you, I'm doing my bit, when are you going to do your bit? When are you going to come through for me? When are you going to fulfill your promises? When 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 is something good going to happen to me? And uh, if that's what you're feeling like today, you're in the right place because I've got news for you, God is about to act to clear his name as far as your life is concerned. He is going to manifest himself. So, I'd like us to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter forty-six. I'm using the the New International Version today. Isaiah forty-six, verses nine through thirteen. The words will come for you on the screen as well. But while we put the words on the screen, please don't neglect to bring your own Bibles. Now. I have uh, my iPad Bibles, and there are, I don't know, dozens of Bibles in there, so if you are now looking on your, your, your iPhone, your iPad, I know you're not tweeting and texting about what's, what you're going to have for lunch, you are actually reading the Bible, but if you have an actual physical Bible like this, just, just lift it up for me, let me just see. Okay, yes, uh, how many have got both, you've got both? Okay, don't forget, I like the pages, I like to be able to turn. The pages. So, uh, whatever you do, keep your Bible with you. And I love the new electronic versions because you can look in all kinds of different languages and different uh, versions. But in all that we have, let's not forget to use them. Isaiah 46, 9 to 13. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known in the end, from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land, a man, to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that will. Will I do? Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are far from righteousness. I am bringing righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Now, this passage is at the heart of the second part of the book of Isaiah. The second part of the book of Isaiah addresses prophetic words to the exiles, the people who had been deported under the judgment of God after the sacking of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple way, way, way back. And then they spent 70 years or so in exile and God is saying, I am about to restore the fortunes of Zion. I'm about to act to clear my name. I'm about to vindicate my name amongst my people. Get ready, prepare yourself, because it is happening. Now, if you go to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, turn there and um, uh, I'm going to draw the distinction between Isaiah's, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 and 40 onwards because there is a, a massive transition that takes place. the end of chapter 39, we have the words of Isaiah preaching to his own generation. And that series of prophecies come to an end. And then in chapter 40, he is addressing future generations. In fact, he's leaping forward by 100, 150 years to address the situation just prior to the restoration. In fact, the distinction is so clear that many Bible scholars believe that the book is in two parts and that, Isaiah only wrote the first 39 chapters and his disciples wrote the next. Now, I don't think we need to resort to that kind of documentary hypothesis because God is capable of speaking ahead of time in great detail what he's going to do. And that's what this, the passage I read is all about. But if we go back to Isaiah 39 now, uh, verses 5 to 6, here we have the last word that Isaiah spoke to his own generation. And it has to do with a prophecy to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king who was there in the 8th century Jerusalem, and he had some really good things about him, but towards the end of his life he became very complacent, and uh, he, he was going to die, and God extended his life, and, and so on. And uh, now he was also a politician. He began to look at the political situation and think, it is time for me to align myself correctly politically. And uh, during that time, the great empire of the day was the Assyrian Empire, who in the previous number of years had uh, come and and, and attacked Samaria, which was the, the, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Israel had been judged, and now God was saying, Judah, unless you repent, the same judgment is going to happen to you. I'm going to bring a foreign army, and they're going to come and destroy Jerusalem. And they were saying it's impossible because God's holy temple is there. God will not let his temple fall. And they were trusting in religion rather than trusting in the Lord. And here Hezekiah receives a delegation from a little-known land. Something that was like a cloud on the horizon. These were the Babylonians. And Hezekiah did not know that the Babylonians were going to rise, the Assyrians were going to fall, and the Assyrian empire was going to be overrun by the new Babylonian empire. That was all future. But he receives this delegation from the king of Babylon. And this is what he does. He thinks to himself, I better make some friends of these people. You never know when I'm going to need them. And so he said, come, we welcome. He wined them, he dined them, he feasted them, he fated them, and he showed them all the riches and all the wealth of Israel, including his own personal wealth and in, including the wealth of the temple, all the silver and gold in the temple, and showed them all of these things. And what he was saying, is, hey, listen, you know, Remember, if ever I need you, I can pay for you. I, I can give you money. You can take care of me. You scratch my back. I'll scratch, I'll, I, will, I will give you gold and silver, and you take care of me. He was forming a future political alliance. And the moment he did that, he was saying, God, I'm not putting my trust in you. I'm putting my trust in the world. I'm putting my trust... In the arm of flesh. And the Bible says the arm of flesh will fail you. You can't put your trust in anything else other than the Lord. Now I know that God uses people, situations, organizations and so on to bless you. But our trust ultimately is in the Lord. And uh, so now the word of the Lord came to Isaiah the prophet and he had an audience with the king. And this is what he says. Isaiah 39 verses 5 to 6 Isaiah said to Hezekiah the king, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Amazing. He is pronouncing God's judgment because Isaiah was able to see that what happened in Israel in the north was going to happen to Judah in the south. BECAUSE THEY HAD TURNED THEIR BACK UPON GOD, THEY WERE WORSHIPPING IDOLS, and, AND EVEN THEIR KIND OF BIBLICAL RELIGION WAS BEING MIXED WITH ALL KINDS OF idolatrous WORSHIP. THEY'D LOST FAITH, THEY'D LOST THEIR TRUST IN GOD, AND GOD WAS GOING TO ACT UNLESS THEY REPENTED. AND WE KNOW THAT WAY BACK IN THE EIGHTH CENTURY THAT WAS YET TO HAPPEN. You HAVE TO GO TO JEREMIAH'S PROPHECY TO DISCOVER THE FINAL DAYS OF THAT KINGDOM. BUT ISAIAH HAD THE REVELATION FROM GOD that this is what the future held. And whenever a word comes like that, the right response is to say, oh, no, Lord, no, Lord, don't let that happen. We repent. We return to you. We put our trust in you alone. Oh, God, come and save us. God, fight for us. God, we are loyal and faithful to you to renew the covenant, to renew your commitment to God. But this king didn't do it. He was by now a really fleshly, backslidden king. And this is how he responded. Isaiah 39, verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken to me, Hezekiah says, is good. It's a good word. I'm grateful. Why? For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. It's going to be okay for me. I'm not going to see this. So this is a good word. Somebody else is going to get this, not me. That is not a godly reaction. It's a reaction of complacency. And I I believe it's a real word for us today. We are living in a complacent society. And in terms of Christianity, we are very complacent. Okay, we may talk about all the, the upturns, downturns in the economy... We may talk about all the difficulties that we face, and I know that for many people life is tough, but I can tell you something, it can get a whole lot tougher than this. And we might say the opposition we face is getting harder and harder to make a stand for Christ publicly in today's world. We are going against the tide, it's going against us. The society is slipping further and further away from God, becoming less and less tolerant of Christians and of Christian teachings and Christian values, uh, and, but still we have it easy. Right now as we're speaking all over the world, our brothers and sisters are being tortured for their faith, being imprisoned and beheaded. 80% of religious persecution in the world is persecution against Christians. And that has not happened in our land yet. And it may never happen, but that doesn't mean to say we should be complacent. We should identify with the suffering church. We should make our stand right now. When it's easier to make our stand, let's make sure we make our stand. Somebody said to me recently, Oh, don't worry about it. When persecution comes, it's going to be glorious. Because in persecution, the church always flourishes. I said, listen, if you can't stand when it's easy, don't think you're going to stand when it gets tough. Now is the time to stand. Shake off complacency because there is still yet a job to be done in this city and in this nation. We need to rise up and stand for Christ and proclaim His name, live for Christ. It's no time to be backslidden and complacent. It's time to stand and be strong and most of all to pray and intercede. And I believe that's what Isaiah did. He left that interview a bitterly disappointed man. Isaiah gave this word, which was not a pleasant word, not an easy word to hear, not an easy word to listen to, but he gave that word faithfully, hoping that the king would repent and say, then let's have a prayer meeting. Let's have a time of prayer and fasting. Let's seek the face of God that this word will not come upon us. We know that when Nineveh heard the word of the Lord, they repented and God relented. So he doesn't have to end bad. AT ANY MOMENT WHEN YOU TURN BACK TO GOD, WHATEVER TRAJECTORY OR lifestyle was leading you on is never too late to repent, never too late to turn back to God. And if I'm speaking to your heart today that you've been slipping away from God and there's issues that are happening to you, things happening to you, temptations across your path and your heart is growing cold, shake shake it off today. Say, God, it's not too late. I am coming back to you. Renew within me a right spirit. Create a clean heart within me, God, because I don't want to miss out on what you have for me. Now, I am sure that Isaiah left that interview and he went straight to his prayer closet. He closed the door and he began to cry out to God. He said, God, this is not right. The king's response, hey, I can't leave it like this. This is not good. This is this is terrible news. Oh God, what can I do? And he began to pray and began to seek the face of God. And God caught him up in the spirit and took him 150 years in the future and showed him what God was going to do when the time was right to restore the the fortunes of Zion and this bird of prey that he's talking about is none other than Cyrus The man who would be the emperor of the new empire, the one that would come to overthrow the Babylonian empire, the Medo-Persian empire. The Babylonian king is likened to an eagle. This one is likened to a bird of prey. And this bird of prey was going to come overthrow the Babylonian empire and reverse the foreign policy of two great empires. The Syrian empire, their foreign policy was when they overtook a land or conquered a city, they took all the residents from that city out and dispersed them across the empire so they could never rise and be rebels and rebel against his authority. That was the foreign policy of the Assyrian empire. That was the foreign policy of the Babylonian empire. But this new emperor was going to reverse the foreign policy of the last two emperors and his foreign policy was And he did it all over the place. When he conquered, he restored people to their land. He said, get people back to their land. Let them be there because they will build that land. They will take care of that land and the the whole of the empire would prosper. So this tells us that whatever we see with these eyes and the big global movements, the things that are happening, God is in control of those things. WE MIGHT SAY, WHAT IS HAPPENING TO US? WE'RE BEING PUSHED BY ALL DIFFERENT KINDS OF FORCES. THE the, the FORCES IN EUROPE ARE ANTI-CHRISTIAN, MOVING US AWAY FROM THE THINGS OF GOD. BUT GOD HAS HIS HAND IN THAT. GOD IS IN CONTROL OF THOSE THINGS. AND THE GOD who uh, has allowed that to happen, perhaps in judgment on the church, will restore the fortunes of his people. God has not had his final word over our lives. God has not had his final word over Europe. God is in control of these things. But I'm not just talking about the big global shifts. I'm talking about your life and my life. Because if God is in charge of the big things, he's also in charge of the little things. You might look at your life and you say, well, I know. I, I know what it's like. I feel constrained. Everything else is happening to everything, everybody else except me. And you, maybe, maybe you, you were at work recently and, and you heard the good news. The good news that the person sitting opposite you was promoted above you. And, and, and that, was, that person was the worst person you can imagine. this person is the most ungodly person. You are there every day at work, not just at 9 o'clock, but 5 to 9. You stay right... Oh, oh, okay, maybe that's not many of you. Well, if you want promotion. (laughs) Okay, no, just just let that word rest. But the point is, we as Bible-believing Christians should be the best employees. And we should be first in line for promotion. And some of you, I'm pretty sure, some of you should have been promoted but somebody else was promoted over you. They stuck the knife in your back, and this person's the most godless person, blaspheming, filthy mouth person, and there you are, so pure butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, and doing everything faithfully and loyally, and you say, God, how could you let that happen? The worst person in the office has been promoted above me, now my life is going to be a living misery. Where are you, God? Thank you very much. I paid double tithes last month, God. Maybe <laughs> go and check it out. God, why are you doing this to me? You feel forgotten. I know a time came, a uh, clear example, where I went through something like this. this was many years ago when Christian television was just taking off in this country, the first Christian channel, and, and we were in, 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 in on that. And uh, they said, Ruda, we've got so many American programs, we need some British programs, what can you do for us? So we uh, cleared the chairs away, and we set up a television studio in this building and ca- can't record in the daytime with all the noise, so we recorded night after night, all night, all the way through, and there we were, and we were raising money for this. Now, we, God, God bless us, but the point is this. point is this. We, we needed much more money than we had, okay? All right, it's a long time ago, so we're not taking a second offering. You're all right. <laughs> and... Uh, But anyway, we we did a lot with what we had, praise God. And it was successful. But right at that time, when when the licenses were being issued and all these multi-channels came out, there were people looking to raise funds and to get investment in their own television channels. And let me tell you, it were not godly channels. In fact, they are pornographic channels. And I read in the newspaper where this man invested one million pounds. Not dollars, pounds. <laughs> and I was so mad. And I went to God and I said, God, you're not playing the game. You know, here we are, we're scraping everything together to try and put sellotape on our sets to get something out there. The, the, the gospel of God and, and this, and we where, where, And yet this man just says, I want to do something ungodly. And all oh, the funds flood in. And I said, God, it's not fair. Why are you doing this? Why, we've done our part. you aren't you doing your part? And God had to deal me, with me over that. You know, money is not the answer to everything. It certainly helps, but it's not the answer. <laughs> Not the answer. But have you noticed that when somebody wants to do something ungodly, all the, the planning permissions there, every, when somebody wants to make a lot of money, they can just level all the planning permits are in line. I know what? Who's greasing, whose palms? Just don't think it's only Nigeria where we struggle from corruption. <laughs> don't, don't don't think that. Nigerians are in a class of their own, but anyway, that's another, that's, 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 that's another story, that's another story, sorry, 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 that's, that, that's not fair, but you know it's true, uh, okay, but don't think it's just African nations where governments and officials are corrupt, I mean, if, if, we, if we only knew what was going on in our nation, we'd be a little less arrogant when we point the finger elsewhere, and the point is, is that wicked people prosper! And that's not right. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think God gets the glory there. I, I think the devil gets the glory. Not God. But God says, hang in there because I will yet act to clear my name. I will yet get glory to my name in your life. Amen. 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 When we see wicked movements, false doctrines, false religion, even demonic teaching, spread rapidly, itching ears. People are more ready to listen to lies than they are to the truth. You know, I'm putting myself out about I'm learning a great deal. I've got a, I've got a, a group of people who meet together. None of them are Christians. In fact, One's an atheist, one not an atheist anymore, he's an agnostic. Another one's an atheist, there's a, uh, a, a European converted Muslim, then there's is, there is a Buddhist and a whole range of other people, and they've all rejected Christianity, sans avoir lu ce livre, without having read this book. This is in France, by the way, that's what's happened. I'm call it, I call it avant-église, before the church. And they're not believers. And I have got some rules. It's church, so that I have the right to bring everything to this book, as and when I choose. But they are free to believe what they believe and express what they believe. It's a free opportunity. However, they must substantiate what they believe. So it's very interesting what you believe. Now, what's your backing for that? How can you be so sure about that? And, of course, they have no backing for it. And then I'd open the Bible and say, well, I know my Bible, and I can give you the reasons why I'm believing. Avant Eglise. Now, why I said, told you that is because every one of these people have rejected Christianity without even looking at it. Haven't you ever looked at this book? And I, f- I find that is so unfair. There's no level playing field out there. How can people reject Christianity and not even know what they're rejecting? Yes. Reject it anyway. Haven't even looked at it. said, so Have you ever examined the historical basis of the life of Jesus? Are you interested? But I'm interested in this. That's not fair. Do you know who's done that? The enemy has done that. It's not fair. Not fair. That's why we need to become much more militant in the spirit than ever before. We need to get people and challenge them and say, okay, it sounds very good. How can you be so sure? said to one person, oh, evolution. I said, give me one proof of evolution. He couldn't give me one proof. All he could say was, this was what the scientists say, give me one proof of evolution. One proof. Do you know? Scientific evidence points in favor of creation. It's another story. We'll come back to that another time. So it's just not fair. And I said, God, it's not fair. God reminds me through passages like this, that there will come a time when God will act to set the record straight. And if you honor him, he will honor you. It cannot fail. So don't give up saying, oh well, you know, uh, I've had all these promises uh, and uh, nothing's happened and... You know, I, I've been faithful in my giving, faithful in my praying, faithful in my Bible reading, being faithful in being faithful, and nothing's happening, and all these people around me, they're being blessed, and, and, and the wicked are prospering, and, and, and look at my life, and I'm not going to bother anymore. Don't be like that. Don't give up hope, because God is about to act to clear His name in your life. Yeah. Give Him a praise. Okay, so Isaiah confronts the attitudes and the condition of Israel's heart towards the end of the 70 years of exile when God is about to act to restore them to their land, to bring them back home. During that time, they had been highly critical of God. Some of the Psalms say this. They mocked us down by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept, and they mocked us saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. Come and let's hear some of your praise songs. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But then another psalm says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. Then we were like those that dreamed. Our tongue was filled with laughter, our mouth with singing. And I tell you, you might be weeping today, but you're going to be laughing tomorrow. (laughs) Provided you don't try to vindicate it, let God do it. So let's have a look at some of the attitudes that the prophet speaks into. And they were being very critical of God. They'd lost all hope. And these attitudes had to be dealt with before God's glory could be restored. And this is what God is saying to our hearts today. One of the things they're criticizing God said, God, you've forgotten us. Have you ever felt like that? God, you've forgotten me. Probably every single person in this place today, in a spirit of openness and honesty, if I handed you the microphone and say, what is that one thing? you've been crying out to God for, and you ain't got yet. Every one of us would have a story. I've been longing for this, I've been praying for this, it's not happened, God, I don't know what you're doing. Every single one of us. I remember when I became a Christian, for the first 12 months, every prayer I prayed was immediately answered in the affirmative. Wonderful. And then somebody said, no, oh, you can't get 100% answer to prayer. <laughs> I think God does bring us along gently, but there comes a time when we've got to live with some questions. And it's a way in which God brings out what's in our heart. Remember Job? Satan said, does Job love God for nothing? you are giving him everything. Just take anything away from me. He'll curse you. And Job didn't. Because he said, God is in charge of my life. And remember the patience of Job? The long-suffering? And finally, when the time was right, God came through for him. God is going to come through for you. Did you hear me? I don't think you heard me. Listen, God is going to come through for you. God is going to come through for you. No, there's somebody still struggling with it. God is going to come through for you. Yes, He is. God says, I've not forgotten you. I'm ready to remember. Not forgotten, I'm ready to remember. What does it mean when God forgets? Is He absent-minded like you and me? Now, where did I put my car keys? Where are they? I don't know. Oh, I forgot to buy the milk. God does not forget like that. When it says he remembers, he doesn't say, oh, I forgot about that. Okay, now I remember. When it says God remembers, what it means is that he acts to fulfill his promise. That's what it means. When God remembers, he acts to fulfill his promise. And so God said, I haven't forgotten you. I'm ready to remember. And look at these opening lines. From Isaiah chapter 40, these were the first words that God gave Isaiah when he interceded for the future generations of exiles to minister to them so that when the time came, they could go to the Word of God and have a look at it for themselves and understand what God was going to do in, his, in their generation. Comfort! Comfort, my people, says your God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one calling. In the desert prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. What incredible good news. God says, comfort... I'm encouraging you, I'm comforting you. Your warfare has ended. The hard season is over. I'm declaring a new season. And this, that's why I want you to remember the former times. You remember the former times when the people of God were in bondage in Egypt? That's when you were born as a nation. Do you remember how you were born? You were born in a power of God with mighty signs and wonders and deliverances, with an outstretched arm with mighty signs and wonders. I set you free from Egypt. I made a way where there was no way. When you stood before that water and you were hedged in all around, I opened the water and you walked on dry ground I brought you through the sea I opened the sea that you might be set free now remember that I'm the same God I haven't changed and this time I'm going to make a way not in the sea but in the wilderness and that was their path back from Babylon there was going to be no parting of the Red Sea it was not necessary the geography didn't demand it. God said, I am going to make a path. I'm going to come and I'm going to set you free and I'm going to lead you back to your homeland. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and everlasting joy and singing shall be upon them. This is what God was saying. The wilderness shall blossom as a rose. I will do a new thing. I'll make a way where there is no way. I don't know where you feel, where you feel that today. Maybe you feel in a wilderness situation. I believe the whole of the church, broadly speaking, though I must qualify and say we can go to pockets and, of blessing and outpouring of God's spirit and church growth. It's not all negative, negative, negative. But if you look at the whole of the church in general, we are in a spiritual wilderness. We are in a Babylonian captivity. and I want God so much to break through. It may not be right now, It could be today, I don't know, but I do know this, it is going to come. God has not finished with Europe. He's not finished with Europe. Amen and amen. He will still get glory to his name in the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, look at this. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly. Hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now what does it mean when God says, I've given you double for your sins? I suppose you could say, it's over. I have really dealt with this. But actually, it is an image drawn from the marketplace. What you would do, you go and buy something, and you would have a bill. And it might be, you pay a little bit here, a little bit there, or you pay all in full. And then they'd mark out the bill, and when it was paid, instead of stamping, paid, they folded it like this, and nailed it to the merchandiser's shop. I'm so glad that 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price for our sins, (laughs) and every record that was written against us, he folded it double. Double. Nailed it to his cross. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now give him a praise for that. (laughs) Hallelujah. Second thing that they were struggling with in their hearts and in their minds was God has forsaken his people. How could he let this happen? What a shame has come upon us. Don't we feel the shame? When every church is empty, don't we feel the shame? When a church building is given over to be a furniture repository, a bookshop, as much as I like bookshops, or even some alternative place of worship for an alternative religion, that's a disgrace. And we feel the shame when Jesus' name is dishonored. And we say, God, have you forsaken us? And deep down in our lives personally, maybe we don't think like that, maybe because we know we're good Kensington Temple worshippers, and we pack in here every Sunday, and we're thousands of people, and massive churches in London. 22% of London attends church. The rest of the nation can only put together on an average 7%. God is doing something amazing in London. It is like revival by comparison to some other parts of Britain and certainly other parts of mainland Europe. But nevertheless, we might say, well, it's okay. I got a place of worship and you're not thinking about the big picture. Maybe you're just thinking about yourself. Have you forgotten me, God? Have you forsaken me? You you appear aloof and disinterested. Look at this Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Oh, he is talking about global shifts of power, global moves. But how personally does that speak to us individually? I don't know if you were there today. If you're not, just praise God. Save this up because you may need it tomorrow. But if you are here right here today with this and you're saying, God, my way is hidden. You see, he doesn't see what's happening to me. My cause, my, my, my righteousness, my justice, my cause is being disregarded by God and it's painful. Remember, God says, no, 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 no. I have not forsaken you. In fact, I'm about to restore the fortunes of Zion. Oh, hallelujah. I know I'm prophesying today and some of you are going to see this within the the week. (laughs) Uh, Others of us us might need to wait a little longer but I'll tell you whether it's one week, one month, one year it will come. God (laughs) has not forsaken his people. He will never forsake his people. He is ready to restore and to do it so gently. ANOTHER CHARGE. WELL, GOD HAS FAILED. YOU KNOW, WHEN YOU TRY AND FAIL, IT'S ALWAYS BETTER TO HAVE TRIED. WHEN I, when I LOOK BACK ON ALL THE FAILURES OF MY LIFE IN MINISTRY, I, I SAY, WELL, GOD, OKAY. BUT I SAY, THANK YOU, JESUS, AT LEAST I TRIED. So IT'S BETTER TO try TRIED AND FAILED. AND THAT'S VERY HUMAN. Better to have tried and failed than not to have tried at all. But it's far better to try and succeed. Is it? That's better still. Can I have an amen? amen. All right. Okay. So uh, there's a word coming through. Listen. This, somebody has tried and tried and failed and failed and failed. Don't stop trying because you're going to try and succeed. Amen. Not try to succeed. You're going to try again and you're going to succeed. Whether it's an exam, whether it's a job, whatever it is. T- listen. God isn't finished with you yet. So God has failed his people. Now, why would they say God? had failed them because they were thinking either he was not willing or not able to rescue them, and neither is true. You see, the prevailing opinion amongst Judah's exiles was that God was powerless to prevent it, and uh, the gods of the nations were stronger. That's why they were in the land of Babylon. That's why they were so far from their own homeland. And that was the kind of opinion of the day. Now remember, in those days, there's no such thing as secular societies. Every nation had its own gods and religion. And when they went to war, they went to war in the names of their gods and their religion. And if they overcame and prevailed, then it would be clear to everybody that the gods of this nation were stronger than the gods of the other nation. And these people were so steeped in idolatry that they began to think the same way. Well, the gods of Babylon must be bigger than the God of Israel because he wasn't able to deliver us. But they had to realize that God was in charge of all of that. And he said, I warned you, you have to walk with me. And the covenant that I had with Israel is this. You will be my people. I will be your God. But you shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship me only. And they had forgotten that. And God had told them that if they disobeyed him, then the curses of the law would come on their life. And if they obeyed him, the blessings. It was all, God was fulfilling his word. He was being true to his word and true to his nature. But that season of judgment was over. And he says, you've got to understand, it's not because I don't have any power why it happened. Look at verse 28 of Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not just a big God amongst many. He is the only God... He is the creator of all things. Everything else is false in the presence of the one true living God. It says, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Maybe they thought, well, God had a bad hundred years. Oh, these people, I'm so tired, so hard work. You're such hard work. You know, like a cell leader thinking about one of the cell members, oh, you're such hard work, please join another cell. (laughs) As if God was saying, oh, you're such hard work, please go find another God, give me a break. Give me a break for a hundred years. I'm so tired. No, God doesn't get tired. We get tired. God doesn't get tired. He has all power. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. In other words, God has more than enough strength and power and energy for himself to give some to us as well. And so God says, don't be discouraged. God has not abandoned you. He has not found you too difficult. He has not been overpowered by some superior deity. No, 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 no. Forsake the worship of those gods and you will see my power manifested in your life. And you and I may not be bowing down to idols of wood and stone in that kind of way, but everything that we trust more than Jesus is an idol. Everything, anything that comes between you and Jesus is an idol. So he says, if you want me, you've got to clear the way. Get rid of that stuff. What is it for you today? I'm not being harsh with you because I'm thinking about my own heart. We have a tendency to be idolatrous. We have a tendency to trust things People, situations, money, finance, prestige, position, relationships, and so on, more than God. And we tend to look to these things to meet our needs rather than saying, God, you know, you are the only one. You are the only one. I put all my eggs in one basket. I put my trust in you. The moment you say, even today, God, I give you back my life. I put all my trust in you. I'm looking to you and you only, and if you're going to send a messenger, maybe a Cyrus, an anointed pagan, who will come along and bless me, then you feel free. Feel free. I'm not going to stop you. But I am not going to go out hunting for that. I'm looking to you. My supply comes from you. <laughs> amen and amen. God says, No, 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 no. I am able and I'm also willing. I'm also willing. Look at these wonderful verses Isaiah 40. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Beautiful. Isaiah 40, verse 11, same image. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What does that tell you? It reveals to you the tender-hearted nature of God, that he is compassionate towards you. He knows your needs. He takes care of your every need. He is your shepherd, just as it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. all your trust in him, Jesus, you are my shepherd. You know all my needs. You are able to meet my needs. You want to meet my needs. You are the God of all compassion and you are gentle towards me. Therefore, I will lack nothing. He's your source. He is your supply. He has not failed you. He has not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. And he says, I draw you close to me, so that today I can act in your life to set the wheels in motion that will clear my name. When this happens on a global scale, when the Church of Jesus Christ is restored, not just to former glory, because the glory of the latter house shall be more glorious than the former. God, isn't it, to just come and give us back? What we had is going to give us more and more and more. The early church is the church in infancy. The end time church is the full, mature church carrying the fullness of God's presence. That is going to happen globally. And everybody will have to say, we, we, we say one thing God's with them. Either we don't want their God. We hate their God. But God is with them. They won't be able to deny it. You know, when God has put his name on your life, you carry his name. And, and, and when things are happening to you that aren't glorifying to God, God will say, enough. I want to elevate you. I want my name to be glorified in your life, individually and in our lives corporately. That is what is ahead. And I believe that these restoration passages which speak primarily of the restoration of Israel back to her homeland way back in the Old Testament times. Beyond that, it also speaks of the restoration of Israel spiritually. Israel is going to be saved. The Bible says so. Israel is going to be saved. Israel is going to be saved. Israel is going to be saved. And not just Israel but the nations too are going to be powerfully impacted by the gospel in a worldwide move of God. I don't know how it will look like. Everybody all together, I don't know. Wave upon wave I don't know. I also know in the last days there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. But God's people, those who are anointed and are walking with Him are going to experience His glory and we will be able to hold her head up, and when the glory of God is on us, they will have to acknowledge it. They'll have to admit it. But, not just for the church as a whole, but you carry his name. And if you carry his name, you're going to see his glory. God is going to demonstrate to the world who you are, that you are God's chosen, blessed children. AMEN AND AMEN. Amen. SO WHERE ARE YOU TODAY? I DON'T KNOW, APART FROM SITTING HERE. I DON'T KNOW. BUT IN AN AUDIENCE THIS SIZE, THERE'S bound TO BE PEOPLE WHO ARE SAYING, THIS IS EXACTLY THE WORD I NEEDED BECAUSE I'M RIGHT THERE. BUT ALL OF US, WE KNOW, HE WILL NEVER LEAVE US OR FORSAKE US. HE WILL NEVER, NEVER FAIL. GET READY. GOD IS ABOUT TO ACT TO CLEAR HIS NAME and come through for you. Give Jesus praise today. (laughs) Amen and amen.